Um, welcome to another episode of the Kick and Cover podcast. Uh, we have Coach Nick Schroeder with us today uh, from Lincoln Way Central High School um, in New Lenox, Illinois, uh, just outside of uh, Chicago by about 40, 45 minutes. Uh, Coach, how you doing? Great, Coach. How are you? I'm, do- I'm doing all right. Can't complain. Wouldn't do any good if we if I did. So um, <laughs> by the time this airs, I- we'll be long past the state clinic, which I've mercifully trying to get through and uh studying and editing videos and uploading and yeah whatever that's awesome yeah that's awesome. Uh, no, no it's great i mean we got some good guys and uh i think at this point as we're filming this i think we've announced seven um or i mean we should we should announce at least in our 90 so at minimum um so we'll see um yeah so we'll go from there um very cool so I, I mean, I mean, we we, we kind of met. I mean, we have a, obviously a mutual acquaintance who kind of uh, put us together, messaged me, and said, "If you need a special teams guy, here you go." And we've kind of reached out and talked a little bit since then. So, um, I, what I've kind of done for the past couple episodes, and as, as normal listeners will know, um, I'm gonna kind of just let you go. Um, he, I mean, Coach sent me his presentation ahead of time, and it's some really good stuff. It's very organized. Looks very good. Um, so it kind of, I mean, yeah, you can kind of just see it based off the picture that, um, I mean, it's on your screen for those of you watching and not listening to the audio, um, coach has got, coach has got some detail and good stuff. So, uh, without further ado, I'm gonna let coach Schroeder, uh, go into special teams thoughts. Cool. I appreciate it coach. And I, and I know I got a slide here with some thank yous coming and, uh, and, and you're one of the guys I definitely want to thank. And I know you shared some, uh, some big news, uh, through Twitter the other day too. So we'll get to that, but just, uh, you know, kind of here on the, on the first slide, um, these are just kind of special teams thoughts for me as I, uh, uh, served, served as a coordinator in the past and, uh, continue to always focus on specials. You know, one of the reasons I love specials is because you, you work with everyone in, in your, in, in your team on your, in your program based on, uh, hey, it doesn't matter if they're offense or defense or play quarterback, they might be the holder, whatever it is. So I, so I truly love special teams. Uh, I try to follow it as much as I can. So these are just some general thoughts that I've come up with uh, throughout my years. And my hope would be, uh, uh, you know, hey, hopefully, uh, hopefully something sparks with uh, somebody watching or somebody listening and they want to follow up and have a more in-depth conversation. So that's kind of kind of my plan here today. Um, you know, right here on the first slide, kind of whenever I talk about specials is a great quote. And like any coach, you know, I stole this, stole the quote from somebody else, but uh, it, it is important to me. And that quote is for the special teams. Um, sometimes it's, it seems like it's not important until it's important. And uh, what I mean by that is, you know, everybody really wants to have a great, uh, a great offensive philosophy and a defensive philosophy and put a lot of time into those things. There's no doubt. And, and there's no doubt that they're important and uh, they, they win games. Um, but then, uh, you know, special teams kind of goes kind of goes to the back burner until something bad happens. And then all of a sudden, everybody's everybody's a, a special teams fan and a special teams expert all of a sudden, you know, when something goes bad versus, hey. Uh, you know, make it important throughout, and I think you'll get a lot better results. So that was a that was a quote again that I that I uh, got from another coach, but it always made some made some really good sense to me. So uh, right away, you know, uh, like like any any coach, you know, we need to thank the players that I've worked with throughout. Uh, man, there's been some really dang good ones. I I won't sit here and name too many of them here today, but uh, uh, wouldn't be here without them. And uh, really really appreciate all that all that they've done. I've been very fortunate places I've worked where, man, we have great young men and, uh, 
they, they, they did what they were asked. So uh, great players. Obviously would like to thank you for having me on today and then uh, give you congratulations. I, I, I saw a tweet about uh, 2000 subscribers. So that's, that's okay. cool to have a, uh, yeah, it's cool to have a, a COVID project that uh, just <laughs> is, is kind of uh, blossomed into that man. So, so thank you. Appreciate coach Morrissey, you know, coach Morrissey is the one who, uh, who kind of linked us together here. Um, and I, I got to give coach Morrissey credit for the job he's done at Moline. You know, I'm a, I'm a Moline football alum and, uh, man, he's, he's really made that an important football school once again. So, so coach Morrissey, thanks for doing that, but also thanks for, for hooking you and I up, uh, obviously thank the coaches that molded me, which I'm going to talk about here in a slide or so. And then, uh, any of the, any of the coaches watching or listening too. So a little bit of my background real quick, you know, we want to sit here and talk specials, but like I told you, I think it's important to, uh, uh, to know who you're listening to, where they've been. And then uh, I also kind of recapped what I learned, but uh, I started right out of high school. I didn't go play college football. I would have been like a, uh, I would have been like an undersized old lineman. I, I didn't move, move good enough to play a backer. So uh, I, I knew my football career was done and just at age 18 started coaching right away. And that was at, again, at Moline high school, I was there for three years and boy, boy, was I young, you know, I wasn't really, I, w I wasn't a good coach um, because of that. But uh you know, I learned some things and was fortunate when I went off to Illinois State, uh, there was a really, really good high school there called Normal Community. And uh, I, I contacted their coach and uh, ended up being able to uh, to be there for two seasons. And that's where I really learned football. You know, it was it was all new to me. And I was away from the coaches that I that I had as a player. I was away from from, uh, you know, coaching my, my buddy's younger brothers and all that type of stuff. So that's where I really learned. And uh, I got my first teaching job at a small country school called Warrensburg Latham. And I guess if there's a young coach listening, uh, a great lesson to take away from that is, is perspective. Uh, so I went from normal community, which was a phenomenal school, state champion caliber team, um, to Warrensburg Latham, where we didn't do a lot of winning. And uh, I, I guess you can still learn from it. Uh, maybe you're going to learn what you're not going to do uh, as a coach, you know. But uh, you can you can still try to put a positive spin on it. Uh, from there, I was very fortunate to uh, go to Riverdale High School and become their head coach. I did that for two years. And, and looking back, coach, boy, was I a bad leader. Um, you know, I kind of kind of told you before we got on here um, that I actually ended up coaching college football after I was a, a high school head coach. And uh, man, I, I wish I would have knew some things. So I was, was able to take the Riverdale experience and, and we won some games. Don't get me wrong, but, uh, but I was not a, not a fun guy to work with. Um, you know, I, I do think the players had, had a good time because we won some games, but, uh, but man, I, I was a bad leader. Uh, but I, I was able to turn that into a job at St. Ambrose University, uh, which was a local place. And I give coach Mike Magistrelli a ton of credit for, for even, uh, even interviewing me and then obviously taking a shot. So, that's, that's where special teams really became important to me. I, I started out as a, as a grad assistant, became our O-line coach, and then in my third year was able to become our special teams coordinator. So I really give uh, St. Ambrose credit. I mean, that's really where I learned everything um, and really learned about organization. So I appreciate you kind of commenting, you know, that, uh, that I had some stuff detailed out here uh, because they were really first class and they just taught you how to do everything right. Um, so it was a great experience. I was able to take that and uh, become the, uh, the defensive coordinator at Coe College, which is also in Iowa. I was able to do that for one year. And uh, the, the reason I did that is because I just wanted something new. I kind of wanted to see how things were done at another place. And then that has uh, uh, spun me here to Lincoln Way Central High School, as you said, in the Chicago suburbs. I was able to get back into the classroom and teach. Um, 
and I've uh, been here for three years now. So a little bit of a little bit of my background, and then the people that have really molded me throughout the way. Man, at Moline High School, Coach Kevin Gorgle, uh, he was like a dad to me. He, he walked out with me on 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 senior night. Um, uh, just taught me how to be more than a coach. At Normal Community, it was HUD Venerable. Like I said, he he taught me he taught me football. You know, he taught me a little bit of everything. Uh, at Ambrose, we had three guys listed here: Mike Magistrelli. Again, really taught me about how to do things first class. And with that also is is to not complain. You know, you, you you have what you have, make the most of it. If you need something else, find a way to get it done, but complain, it's not going to do it. So I give him credit. Uh, Tom Anthony was our defensive coordinator at the time. Best defensive coach that, that I've worked with. I've worked with some dang good ones, don't get me wrong. But uh, Tom's kind of my go-to guy there. So, you know, these are these are people, hey, if, if you're listening or following on, on uh, YouTube and you're a Twitter guy, man, look, look these guys up and, and – uh, uh, I'm sure they would help any of you out, but they're great guys to follow. And then Matt Drinkle. Matt Drinkle, I've learned a ton from. Matt and I remain close friends. He's he's at Army now, um, but uh, man, has has he done a, done an incredible job with everything he's touched? And I really learned offense from him. At Co, it was Tyler Staker, our head guy, who really taught me about people. And then here at uh, Lincoln Way Central, our head coach Jeremy Cordell has really taught me how to operate a a, a full program, especially. Um, nine through twelve, and then and then even under uh, under ninth grade. So wanted to give those guys some some credit as well. Some up and comers I follow. These are guys. I mean, there's a lot of great ones out there, but these are guys that uh, I've been fortunate enough to work with. So if you're not following these guys on on Twitter, uh, you know, I, I think it would help people out. But John Micheletti, heck of a defensive mind. Wes Fleming's really a, he was a great defensive player for us, and what he's done offensively in the college game has been great. And then uh, my old my old roommate John Canova, man, John lived with me uh, while we were at Ambrose, and uh, great, great, great offensive line coach. So excited to see what uh, what pans out for him. You know, as far as special teams, and, and why am I sitting here talking on special teams out of anybody? Um, I, I I know it's going to date a little bit here that we're going to be talking about 2014 and 2015. Um, but this is where I kind of really formulated what worked for me and what worked for our program at this time. It was at St. Ambrose, um, but, uh, really formulated a, a, a new plan for, for what was going to work and, and, and it did, you know, so that's why I'm kind of referencing all the way back, but you guys can read the numbers here and, and man, we, we, we weren't overly great in any special teams category. Um, in fact, we were only in the top half in one throughout our entire conference. And uh, it was one heck of a conference uh, that St. Ambrose plays in the mid-states. Um, so anytime you're in the top half, that's great. But, but we, we felt we could have been better. And, you know, we looked, uh, Coach Mike Magistrelli and myself in the offseason, and uh, this is a slide taken directly from our, from our playbook um, going into 2015 when I took over the special teams. Um, but we, we noticed we were really strong at linebacker and receiver and end and running back that we had to be better on special teams. So we kind of sat down and said, all right, what, what needs to change? And, uh, you know, I've got a slide to talk about what, what we did. Um, but we really stressed that we should have been much better than what we were. So with kind of this newfound approach, we went into 2015 and uh, we went from being in the top half and only one to this time after the 2015 season, we were in the top half and all of them but one. Okay, so we had a pretty dang big swing there. Um, we have to give a ton of credit again to players. We had Matt Cattiglia as our kicker, who won the Fred Mitchell Award, which for those people that don't know is the uh, is, is is the number one award for kickers minus um, 
um, FBS. But but anyways, it's it's JUCO all the way through through everybody else. So to have that as an NAIA player, it was only the second time that it ever happened. So he gets a lot of that credit in the kicking game. Um, he was actually the number one punter. He was the number one place kicker in the nation. Um, and, and actually, it's funny because our, our punt stats, we, were, we did a lot of pooch punts. So that actually, uh, actually affected our punt stats a little bit uh, to where we actually probably would have been a little bit better. But anyways, um, the, it was proof that the formula worked, you know, and I've been uh, lucky enough to, the places that I've been in between and since then to carry some of these things with me and, uh, and they've continued to work. So what was the, what was the formula? You know, it wasn't lightning in a bottle or anything. We just kind of sat down and, and, and really talked about, Hey, what's it going to take? So how did we do it? Well, again, our players and our coaches were the biggest thing. So right away, again, we had the, we had the top kicker in the nation. That's going to improve your stats right away. We had some really good return guys, um, guys like Brad Connor, Joey Zito. And there again, there's some other names in there too, but uh, uh, that certainly helped. Um, but the other thing is, is the reason those guys were out there is because we made a commitment on specials that we were going to play our dudes. You know, I realize a lot of places aren't going to run their quarterback out there on specials and that's understood, but uh, we treated specials as something it, it wasn't going to be a time for breaks, you know, um, college games a little bit different. You know, you, you have more players that are really, really close to cracking, uh, cracking the two deep or that are in the two deep, but maybe not, not quite starters. So you, you have a pretty good number of guys around, but, uh, but again, it, it wasn't going to be a time to just kind of sit our starters. Um, you see right now, especially with like Alabama and what they're doing on special teams and, you know, they're going to obviously go play for another national title. Um, I think that's pretty good proof. They're running their starting corners down on their kickoff team. They got the, the uh, Heisman trophy winner returning punts. So I think there's another pretty good, pretty good proof. One of the biggest thoughts I have coach um, as a football guy in regards to special teams, um, if you're a head coach or whatever, and, and you're kind of kicking around the idea of maybe splitting it up. I'm a true believer in to have a special teams coordinator. Maybe it's two people, um, but I'm not a believer in, Hey, this coach takes punt. This coach takes punt return. This coach takes kickoff and, and, and uh, dividing it up um, for two reasons. And number one, I think is when you have a special teams coordinator and they have that title, I think they take pride uh, I think it gives you one common voice and, you know, obviously they're going to work with their head coach for sure. And it's going to be a, uh, um, a message of the head, what the head coach wants. Don't get me wrong, but at least it, it's a consistent voice. And uh, the other thing too is, is, you know, let's take example. I know probably a popular one is to have your D coordinator uh, be in charge of your punt return. That is probably the last thing the D coordinator looks at every single week. You know, so again, I, I just feel like if you if you put a coordinator in place, they're going to take pride and it's and it's going to make things a lot better. And again, I would really think the coordinator role, you don't have to be the world's best XO or some of the things we're going to talk about today is really how simple we were that, that made us effective and continue to make us effective in specials at, at the places I've been fortunate to work at. Um, but isn't really to, to be this X and O mastermind, but more so to coordinate interactions. Again, what does your head coach want to see? Again, uh, talk to that defensive coordinator about what that other team does so you are prepared when you get that punt return unit out there. But it's really to coordinate things. And, again, I know I've said it before, but, man, 
best part about specials is being able to coach both sides of the ball. So I know, uh, I know if, uh, you know, maybe you're at a small school, Hey, you're already doing that anyways, but man, you get to colleges, you get to these bigger high schools, you're probably only coaching one unit on one side of the ball, except specials. You're able to work with everyone. Uh, the other part of the formula for us was be simple. You know, the players, special teams, isn't their number one position. They're probably doing, well, they are doing something else. They're, they might be a starter. They might be in the two deep, but they have to worry about way more things than special teams. Just like, again, for them, it's probably not the first thing they, they really dive into. Uh, so we wanted to be really, really simple on specials and just get, get good at the little bit that we did. Um, and again, because players just, they already had so much on their, on their plate and, and things to remember. And that's just at football. Not to mention they have lives outside. Um, you know, we always talk about specials. It's a third of the game. It's a third of the game. You know, people that, that, that's always on, on people's minds, you know, no one practices it as a third of their time. So I think we've, we fall into a little bit of a trap there. So I think your staff has to sit down where you're at and, and, and talk about how much time are you really going to dedicate? You know, I once heard the stat that one out of every five plays is a, is a special teams play in a game. Um, so obviously 20%. So I looked up our stats last year and, and for us, it happened to be 16%. So obviously maybe a little bit lower than that. There's going to be other schools where it's a little bit higher than that. Maybe it's one fourth of every play. So maybe it's 25%. So I think wherever you're at, you know, it's going to be based on, are you a, are you a fast offense, a slow offense an aggressive defense, things like that. I think you need to find out how many plays are actually, in your program for specials and uh, uh, then decide how much time you're going to dedicate to that. Again, be organized. You know, uh, I've worked for some special teams guys where, um, man, even though they were the coordinator, it, it wasn't the first thing on their plate and they came out there without much of a plan. And my, my talk off to that would be, man, you script everything else. You go out to practice with an offensive script and a defensive script. And, and again, everything else is scripted. So if, if, if specials is important to you, um, you're going to come out there with a script too. And I know a lot of guys are already doing that, but there's, there's, there's sadly some who aren't. And then the last thing it's special team. So, so make it special. I know that sounds cheesy, but have some goals, um, have some uh, rewards or awards, whatever you want to do, man. At St. Ambrose, you know, I, I bought a sledgehammer, an old wooden sledgehammer for 10 bucks. We're able to paint it. You know, we gave that out. Um, Guys had to carry it with them for the week. You know, we joked that they should be carrying it to class and, and house parties and things like that. And, and luckily they knew we were joking and, uh, and, and they didn't. But, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we try to make it special. And, and again, um, if it is special, don't wait till the end. Shouldn't be the last thing you're doing in practice every single day. Hey, may, maybe some days it is. Or, or maybe you always want to end with field goal kicking, something like that for sure. But, uh, but, but man, don't, don't put specials as last 20 minutes every single day. Um, so that's what kind of made us successful, um, in my opinion. So today, you know, uh, I'm a, I'm a big guy on the iceberg theory. As I was telling you, I teach woodworking and, and woodworking is like special teams. And the fact that you can really go two ways, you can go a mile wide or you can go a mile deep. So today I'm going to be a mile wide with special teams. I'm going to talk a little bit. I'm going to talk not in depth on a lot. I'm going to talk very little about a lot of things. In, in, in hopes that somebody wants to have a follow-up conversation on something more in depth. So, so today, and, and when you're learning, I think it should be a little bit more of the mile wide approach. Um, but then, uh, then when you, when you find out what you want to do, man, you better get a mile deep 
you better really know that thing inside and out. For me, uh, it's been for shield punt. You know, shield punt something I really uh, have been able to get a mile deep in throughout my throughout my career. And it's really just because the places I've worked, they wanted to be shield punt teams. So uh, it's kind of kind of just happened that way. Um, but again, take a little bit of everything, but then find out what you really want to do and really get to know it. We all know the importance of uh, of special teams. You know, this is uh, this is something that. Um, everybody is seen in some form. Sometimes it's in a picture of the actual field. This just happens to be a chart. This is a chart that I put in, in, in all my, uh, in all my special teams playbooks as I went, but really, especially here at the high school level coach, we know the importance of when the offense starts the ball with the ball, at the negative 20. Okay. And that's going to come into to our kickoff talk, but, um, again, everyone's seen something similar to this. But boy, you should you should have it in front of your in front of your players as well, just just so they understand. Again, whether it's a picture or a chart, figure out what works best for you and for them. But uh, we we all know starting field position and, and what that means to scoring. So right away, jumping into kickoff, um, you know, it's talking talking a little bit about what I've said before is use your dudes. Um, but first off, you know, it's the first play of defense. Again, I reference Alabama; they run their starting cornerbacks down there. So again, use your guys and use guys that can run. Okay, maybe maybe they're uh, uh, maybe they're a two deep guy, but dang, they can run. You know what I mean? Um, so that that would be my first thought of kickoff, and and really that's kind of bounced off here with with the second thought. Um, but again, going with guys that run and, and, and talking about talking about um, awarding them or rewarding them, however you want to word that, is man, if if you have a touchback, if you have the guy, which is probably the most important thing of kickoff, which we'll talk about here. But uh, if you have a guy that's going to give you consistent touchbacks, even then your team should be flying and uh, reward reward the first guy that crosses the goal line on that touchback. You know that's something that, that we've done here at, at Lincoln Way Central, and, uh, and and it's been cool for our guys. So get get guys out there that that can run. But deep down, it probably all comes down to the kicker. If you have a guy that can consistently put it in the end zone, that's 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 your dude. Uh, again, I referenced it on the on the last page, but man, here in, in high school football, if it goes in the end zone, it's a touchback, and the ball comes out to the negative twenty. There's 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 no better thing going on for you than that. You know, the uh, the, the the slides say it takes you know the, the scoring percentage there is anywhere from three to thirteen percent. So we we would all take that defensively uh, every time. Um, you know, for for me for kickoff. It hasn't been a ton about scheme because there's only a few ways you can line up anyways. You know, recently they put the rules in place. Like you're either going to be a five by five or you're going to be some version of six by four. So it, it, it isn't really a ton about scheme as much as it is dudes. Find a kicker who can put it in the end zone. And then if you can't, and you're not always going to be able to, which is a point I'll bring up here. Um, if you can't, man, you better have guys that can fly around and, and, and run down there to get it covered. Uh, I'm a big believer in directional kicks, you know, now, Hey, if it's a touchback, sure. We don't care what, where it is left, middle, right, whatever. If you have a guy that's always going to put it there. Um, but the chances are he, he probably isn't going to always put it there, even if he's a great kicker. And that's because of the weather, you know? Um, so we had different kicking zones, which I'll show you here on the, on the next slide. So again, even with that best kicker, you're going to play in the cold, you're going to play in wind. And there's times where kicking it into the end zone isn't going to work. So you have to have a plan. What is your plan during that? Are you a squib team? Are you going to maybe maybe throw a surprise onside in there to try and steal one? For me, where I've been, it's always been uh, we've had some guys that could sky kick. 
And man, there's nothing better than a sky kick. It's actually just happened. Worked out great for Iowa State in their bowl game. Put that thing now for them. I don't think it was wind related, but uh, but later on in the year, what I'm talking about is hey, put that thing up in the wind. You know, let it hang up there. And man, if it if it starts to drift its way back towards your cover team, it's it's a beautiful thing. So again, having a great kicker at, at Ambrose, we we were able to steal two big possessions in two really big games by doing that. And there's probably nothing that, that charges your team up uh, besides a blocked kick. Um, uh, nothing nothing excites your team more, your sideline, than, than getting a possession that way. And the last thing on kickoffs is we always taught about different zones. So that first level blocker, we always taught to avoid him. That is a guy, man, if you get tied up, you're, remember, we want you to run. So if you start tying up with that first level guy, even though he might not get a big shot on you, he slowed you up enough to where you're you're almost blocked, you know. So avoid those first level guys. The second now now we've covered more ground. Now we've reached the second level guys trying to block us. Those are the, the guys we want to engage with a rip move. And then at that third level, those are the guys that's, that's going to be the ball carrier. Uh, those are the guys that we really want to attack. So again, just some general kickoff thoughts. Uh, these were the zones that we used. I mean, obviously, you know, there's a neutral zone where the ball can end up. Um, but, hey, anytime we talked about an onside, that's where we expected the ball to be, somewhere somewhere between the 45s. And, you know, again, you do it directionally. So, hey, an onside left, an onside right, a, a, a middle sky, something like that. Um, so our, our kickers had to know this, too, when we, when we called something, where we expected that ball to be placed. And then, obviously – the, the team that had to go down and cover the guys that were on that need to know this as well. So um, knowing kicking zones and using different kicking zones has, has been huge um, with my experience in, in specials um, kickoff return. It was, it was coach Magistrelli at Ambrose um, who really kind of brought this idea to my attention and made sense to me. And it's funny when we talk pump return, I'll actually talk about the opposite, which is, which is fine. Um, but sideline return is kind of a guessing game, okay? It's it's kind of a 50-50. Scouting absolutely helps you, okay? Um, but if the ball's in the middle of the field, you really don't know which way they're going to kick it. So, for example, if you call a right return, I don't know, maybe you want to return to your sideline or, or whatever reason you want to go right, and they kick it all the way to your left returner, man, you, you might have guessed wrong there. So what's your answer? Is your answer you tell him just to take what he can get or is your – are you asking them to try to come all the way across the field? And how does that, how does that affect your timing? Um, so it was a guessing game. Now, Hey, if it was kicked to the right returner, man, you guessed right. And everything probably timed up perfect. Um, so we felt like, Hey, it was a guessing game and it was either going to end up really, really good or really, really bad. And again, we wanted to keep it simple. So we said, Hey, we're going to have one return and which was a middle return because we felt like no matter where that ball was kicked, we only had to get to the middle of the field for our return to look good. Okay. So uh, I'm a, I'm a believer on kickoff return to, to be a middle return because you just don't know where the ball is going unless you really have enough, enough uh, uh, kicks on your opponent to where you really have them scouted and know exactly what they're going to do. Uh, the other reason uh, middle return was great for us is uh, it, we always block the same guy. All right. Now I talked to, and I, and I won't talk in depth right now, but I talked to about the nature of where you block that guy might change. Okay. 
based on where he's coming from, but you always block the same number, number guy. So for example, our ends would always block number three. Okay. And that was important to us again, that they only had to know one thing. We go back to our ends on kickoff. We're actually probably tight ends or linebackers for us. Um, the, the rest of the time they already had enough to remember. So they just had to remember, Hey, I block number three to my side, right? It wasn't very complicated for him. It wasn't well on right return. I got to block the left five, but on, on the opposite side return, I got to block the number four, you know, it just, it, it was just less for them. Um, another thing it did for us, we had one return that we got to practice a ton and allowed us to become a great return team. Um, from there, that's your building block is middle return. From there, you can start to add in some very simple variations. Okay. Uh, so then at that point we would add what we called a cross return. What was awesome is it didn't change anything for anybody except two people and they still blocked the same number guy. They just blocked the guy on the opposite side of the field. Okay. And it kind of gave you a little cross action, um, in, in the middle of that. Um, so number one, it was a good variation. It put more stuff on film that our opponents had to break down. The other thing is let's say, Hey, you went out there the first two kick returns, um, you know, in a college game, you just have more kick returns cause the game's longer. Um, and, and there's a little bit more scoring. Um, but let's say you you went out there and the first two times you did middle return and man it wasn't very successful. If you call middle return again, your players don't don't have a lot of don't have a lot of buy-in at that time. So cross return gave us maybe maybe an answer if we felt like our players were stuck. Okay, it was a it was a little variation for us. And then I think you can still have a sideline return, but it's not until your middle return is perfected. And I think you can have the sideline return by blocking the same number of people. Okay, so I still block three or I still block five, whatever it is. And again, you just block them in a different direction. Okay, so this time, hey, instead of blocking them, um, for it, it really ends up being for one half of the field. Uh, for one half of the field, it's exactly the same. And for your other half of the field, they just block them a different way. It's, just, it's the same. It's the same dude that they've been been, been blocking or been uh, practicing blocking all week. So, felt like that was a, a good answer for us as well. For punt. You know, I think the first thing is is, is to understand is, is to talk about what style do you want to be and why do you want to be that. Again, just the places that I've worked, uh, just happened this way that the coaches that I've worked for wanted to be a shield punt type team. So to me, the shield is probably the most uh, simple to teach. It's probably the easiest to teach. So that worked out great. The whole part of this was was to keep things simple for our players. You know, I don't know that pros all that much harder. Um, not a big pro punt guy just because I, I I know enough about it, but uh, not not a huge one just because I haven't really sat there. I haven't learned it a mile deep, right? If we go back to those icebergs, I do think pro punt is a much better way to have some fakes, though. If you're gonna be a, if you're gonna be at a place where you think you need to to have punt fakes to really win games, man, I think pro punt might be your answer. Or do you want to be something niche? Do, do you want to be a, a a place where teams really have to spend some time? on what you do, you know, maybe it's a rugby type of punt, you know, I've seen systems where people use two punters and all that different stuff. So, um, sit down with your head coach or obviously your head coach sits down with you, however you want to want to work that, but, but talk about what style you want to be and really think about why, um, for me, punt is all about snap and operation time. Okay. Obviously if the snaps on the ground or over the guy's head, it really doesn't matter what punt you're in. Okay. So it's all about having a great snapper and then how fast can you get it off? 
With Shield, there's going to be something I'm going to talk about on the next slide. With Shield, I am all about releasing guys early. But if your punter can't get rid of the ball quick enough, you can't do that. You know, so really focus on that snap and that operation time. And again, I, I know that isn't anything, uh, uh, any anything like, oh, wow, that's that's amazing that you focus on the snap. Um, but it is something to just continue to hammer with your with with your team and, and, and with your coaches and, and as part of your philosophy. For me, with Shield, I think you carry one run fake and you carry one pass fake that you have confidence in. Uh, I don't think you draw up a, a ton of different fakes. I don't think you draw up. Um, a bunch of different fakes. Um, I think you have a few. I think you have one type of a run, one type of a pass you have confidence in. And maybe you add one after you use one, sure. And then the other thing I think with that is I think you need to have one of those fakes be against a very aggressive block team. And one of those fakes be against a, a return style team. Um, and, and then from there, you can kind of, kind of, uh, uh, piece it in, into which one goes against what. Uh, I, I know what's 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 been decent for us at the places I've been. Um, and in fact, again at that great year at Ambrose, uh, we ran both of them, and 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 they and they both worked. One was against the team that brought everybody, and we just we just dumped it over those guys' head. It was a, a little pass, and then uh, against the team that returned that dropped everybody into coverage, we just ran the ball right up the middle of the field. So uh, again. Just from my own experience, that's that's what's worked for me. But it is the thing, I believe. And I, I, I don't think you draw up a new fake every week because, again, uh, you guys have to remember it. And then I also don't think you need a bunch of them anyways because um, you're not going to use a ton of them. Uh, with that being said, the other side to that, if you are going to use fakes, is you can't only do it at the negative 45 when it's fourth and two and everybody in the stadium thinks you're probably going to – going to fake it you know so uh if if you truly want to utilize fakes to the best of your ability as a coach you have to do it in some situations that are a little unconventional obviously if you're just the coordinator if you're not the head coach um if you're just the coordinator man you got to make sure that that head guy is on board with that and gives you the gives you the green light to do so or he's you know probably it's a situation where he's the guy that's actually saying yeah this is this is where we'll do it so um make sure again you continue to work with that head coach I think the number one thing most teams probably miss on their punt stuff, especially again, I'm going to probably talk a little bit more about shield here. Um, but the number one thing they don't teach is to read the rusher. What is the intent of that rusher? What is that guy trying to do? Okay. And I got a little slide for that here coming up. Uh, and then the last thing, as far as a, a general thought with punt, is you know everybody knows how important it is to pin them right it goes back to that to that percentage chart that we showed at the very beginning just make sure you're finding a way to drill that okay um that is not a hundred percent on your punter that is a huge piece to it but you got to have guys that run down there and cover it and know how to cover it okay another thing i didn't mention i'll actually mention in a few slides is teach your guys the rules of special teams they probably don't know the, the 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 key rules for each one. Okay, so hey, again, if you if if pinning them is something you really want to take pride in, make sure you're drilling it and make sure it's not just your punter doing it off on his own and and uh, making sure those those cover guys know the rules and know the ins and outs on how to do that properly. So I talked about the intent of the rusher. Um, again, I think this is probably the number one thing that's helped the coverage side of the shield punts that I've been involved with. And it's pretty simple. Okay. It's 
what what the team you're going against is doing. They're either returning or they're going to try for a block. So let's see what that rusher's doing, okay? If he's off the line of scrimmage, he's not coming. If he does come, he's going to be late because, remember, it's all about operation time, okay? So if, if he's off the line of scrimmage and ends up blocking the punt, you got to – you, you don't have a blocking issue. You have an operation time issue, okay? So, number one, if your guy's off the line of scrimmage, it's a return. We're going we're gonna to gamble and think, hey, it's it's a return. You release right away. You don't have to stay in and block. If, you're, if your man that you're responsible to block is telling you it's a return, then you release right away. The other thing, if his stance is square, if he's two-point stance and his feet are square – it's probably a return too. He's probably sitting there trying to hold you up at the line of scrimmage. So you release right away. It's not until his stance staggers, like, uh, you know, like he's trying to come out of the block or he gets into a three point. At that point, you're thinking it's more of a block. He's coming. So now you got to stick in and block a little longer. Um, that's worked out great for us. Very fortunate. The places that, that I've worked, we have not had blocked punts. Part of it is because the shield and we just naturally have people so spread out, but teaching, uh, teaching rusher and 10 has big, been big for us too. And the other side of that, not only have we not had punts blocked, we haven't given up big returns because our guys are down there so fast. Because I would say on an average, uh, an average punt out of our seven dudes up front, we probably get four to five of them that can release right away because they've, they've read their rusher's intent. So that's been huge for us, Coach. Punt return. Um, kind of going with, with reading the intent of, the, of, of rushers, you know, there's only so many things you can do. And you're either a block team or you're a return team. I think you have to be realistic that you're not going to be great at both. You have to carry both. There's no doubt. I personally, for multiple reasons, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a block guy. Okay, I, I think punt block is the way to go. I'd rather be a, an aggressive block team than a return team. But we all know there's situations where you're going to have to return a punt. So you have to carry both of them, sure. However, when you get outside of what you want, so for me, when it is returns, you have to be realistic. If you're a block team, I don't know how much you should expect your return man to run for touchdowns it's not what you practice at that point now if you got an absolute stud back there that's probably the one thing that could cancel that out but if you're a block team that's what you practice so when you have a return on what is important to you is it 10 yards is it simply hold on to the football but it probably shouldn't be oh yeah it should be a touchdown every time because again that's not important to you you're a block team okay so again i think you're one or the other yeah i realize you got to carry both but you need to be realistic when you when you do. Um, again, I'm more of a black guy. Number one, I'm just an aggressive kind of an aggressive guy by by my own nature, um, and and so are the coaches that I've worked for with that unit. Um, the other thing I would say is it does. You don't have to actually block it for it to be successful. Just sending guys and getting in getting near the punter, especially at the high school level, man, you can put some pressure on him without physically touching the football it still ends up very effective for you. And the other thing I think about block is I think it's really easy to drill in the summer. Uh, you know, I'll kind of, kind of go on here that point return, I think is the hardest because you have to react to how they line up. 
you know, it's pretty much a, a kind of a defensive situation. So that is one thing that might change week to week is how you line up your punt return team. Well, to move your pieces around every week and then still have to teach them a return, I think that gets more complicated versus, hey, you can move them around each week but still have the same block principles that you had the week before. And, and, and I think that's been more, uh, most successful. So again, especially in the summer when, Hey, you're just kind of going against some general punt looks. Um, I, I think it's easier to drill in the summer for me. This is your chance for sideline return because you probably have an idea if the ball is going to be kicked left or right, especially if the ball is on a hash. So to me, this is the exact opposite of kickoff. Kickoff, you don't know where the ball is going unless you have a great scouting report based on a, a huge number of kicks, which you might not, especially at the at the high school level. Um, but if the ball is on a hash, you probably know that that ball is going to be kicked down that hash. Not a lot of punters are going to kick the ball across the field to lose yardage. So now you have a much better, a much more educated guess of where the punt is going to be kicked to. Um, and so you can set up a sideline return. So for me, again, kickoff is middle return, uh, punt return is a sideline return because you have a better idea. What's funny is coach Mark Hendrickson. Uh, I worked with his son Myers at co college. Myers is now the head coach at Kansas Wesleyan, but Mark Hendrickson is a, is a special teams guru. He was the special teams coordinator at Georgia tech when, when they won a national title back, I believe it was 1990. Okay. But what's funny is he is the exact opposite. He thinks side, he thinks sideline returns should be on kickoff because the ball's in the air longer and you have more time to set things up. Okay. Or the ball's going farther, I should say. Um, so he believes your your sideline return happens on kickoff. He thinks middle return should be on punt return because you just get it and you can go straight ahead right now. Again, he obviously knows what he's talking about. He knows what's been successful for him. And I'm sitting here saying the opposite and it's been successful for me. So I think you got to sit down as a staff and really figure out what works best for you. And, and, and that's what you gravitate towards. Um, Coach, this is... Yeah, and, and and not to do a shameless plug here, but since you mentioned Myers Hendrickson, um, it's that's ironic. I've, I've had like three phone conversations with him in the past week. Um, he is he is a speaker for our state clinic this year. Uh, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that's yeah. Awesome. He, 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 we actually announced him today, actually. <laughs> ironically, so yeah, yeah. I, um, I, I just thought it was a little funny that you mentioned, mentioned him. I was wondering when I was looking at the screen, I'm like, does which coach Hendrickson does he be? Because Okay. Yep. That's funny. Yep. So yeah. Yeah. So obviously, uh, uh, his, uh, that coach Hendrickson on the screen is, is, is his dad, but, uh, man, that you, you, you guys, you guys got a good one coming to speak well, there. Well, He's, he... and, and ironically, um, the next person you're about to mention that's on, on your, on your slide. Well, we've mm-hmm. not announced him yet, but by the time this video appears, we'll announce Jimmy Flynn. I like Jimmy. Jimmy, do, Jimmy does a lot of good stuff. Uh, Jimmy, I mean, I feel like if, if you were to compare my my special teams intelligence to his, like I feel like I'm in kindergarten compared to him being a master's degree. Like yes, like I mean the man the man loves special teams beyond all means and knows absolutely. his stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, to go back to well, first off, you hit home runs and getting both of those guys there. Uh, to go back to Coach Hendrickson, the the son now Myers, who's at Kansas Wesley, and he's a he's another guy that comes from the drinkle tree like I do. So uh, 
Uh, so he and I have good rapport. It was great to work with him um, um, when, when we did. He's doing an awesome job down there in Kansas. And then, yeah, the, the, the next one, Coach, talk, talk about Coach Jimmy Flynn. Uh, you, you said it. You want to talk special team knowledge, the guy who really loves it. This, this guy has it. What's, what's funny is uh, he, was the, he, he was part of specials. I don't know that he was the coordinator back in, in 2015 and 14 in those years. Um, but basically St. Ambrose and St. Xavier play each other. Yeah. They were so great on specials. We, we knew if we ever if we ever got around them in the special team category um, that we had done <laughs> some pretty good things. Uh, I don't have it on this slide or, or anywhere in the PowerPoint. They taught us a phenomenal lesson about tight punt. So if anybody ever wants to talk about uh, the, the St. Xavier lesson uh, on, on tight punt, man, uh, we learned that one the hard way. Um, <laughs> luckily, there was a flag on it, so we got to re-kick it and uh, – and it worked out a little bit better for us, but uh, yeah, they they do some phenomenal stuff. So it, it, it's funny, Coach. Kind of continuing on here with with what I learned from him is this off season. I really started to uh, I really started study punt blocking. And again, I, I've, I've had some stuff that worked for me, but uh, I mentioned earlier I don't know in a special teams world if there's anything that that supports your team more than blocking kicks okay i think it's the number the number one way to charge your team up is to, is to block kicks so um I, I really wanted to focus more on it was fortunate enough to uh in march you know kind of right when COVID happened uh, to get with coach flynn and stole some really good ideas from him and it was you just because you send more people doesn't increase your chance of blocking a punt and in fact I, uh, not that he said it this way, I would argue it might even decrease it. Okay. So it, yeah, you got to cover the two eligible guys or yeah, you got to have some formula for that. I get that. But sending as many people as you can is not a good formula. Multiple things are going to happen. Number one, they're going to run into each other. Okay. They have a much higher percentage now of running into the punter as well. All right. And then the other thing that he talked about, which really made sense is you don't have nine guys on your team that have the, that have the skill set to block upon anyways. At most, you have three to four guys, and they still have to be coached on it. But at most, you have three to four guys that could consistently have a chance at blocking a kick, okay, or blocking a punt in this case. Those are the guys that you need to scheme something up for them to get to the kicker. Okay, and again, in this case, the punter. Um, so I have Nick Farrell pictured here. Nick was one of those guys that he just had the natural ability for us last year to 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 get skinny and get through things and go pressure punts. So um, looking back, we probably would have done some things a little bit different to highlight our guys who did have the ability to do it versus send a lot of dudes. Okay, um, so I'm a big become a big believer in that because of Coach Flynn. Um, for me, since we've been a block team, the number one thing I would I would stress, again, we wanted to be realistic. Every time a team kicked it to us, we weren't going to block it. Every time a team kicked it to us, we weren't going to return it for a touchdown. Our biggest thing was this. They are giving us the ball. By running their punt unit out there, they are saying, we're, getting, or we're giving you guys the ball. Make sure we keep it, okay? That really factors on three things. Number one, if it is punted successfully for them, man, you return guys. Number, I always tell him he has three rules, and all three rules are, are to catch the ball, okay, really to catch the ball and retain the ball. Um, that's another thing, too, about sending nine. If you send a ton of guys, you are really hanging that punt returner out to dry, 
Okay, he's got at that point he's got a ton of dudes running in his face when he has to. It's probably going to be a fair catch too. Um, he has a ton of dudes in his face to try to fair catch it. But uh, again, um, how do you keep the ball? Is obviously you have to have a, have a great returner that can catch everything. You allow no fakes, right? That's something that every team is going to preach on. And then the other is obviously you don't you don't rough the punter because you just kept the sticks moving for him anyway. So continuing to harp on those three things that fell under our umbrella of, hey, they're giving us the ball. Make sure that we keep it. Uh, to talk extra point and then uh, uh, extra point block or PAT, extra point field goal, whatever you guys want to call it. Um, again, for PAT itself, I think you got to talk about what what type of what type of team do you want to be. You know, sit down with that head coach, and your head coach is going to have one of two philosophies. He's either going to just say no, we're taking points, we line up and kick it, we don't want to waste time and all that type of stuff, or he might be a guy who wants to have some fun. He might be a guy who wants to gain an advantage. Okay. Then if, if your head coach says, yeah, let, let's do something different. Let's be a team that gains an advantage. You have to decide what advantage are you really wanting to gain. And to me, there's two ways to do that. You can try to gain a formation advantage, which really then equals points, right? So let's say the popular one I'll probably talk about today is swinging gate. That's probably the, the, the one that's kind of, uh, kind of different, but a lot of people know about it, okay? So if your, your head guy says, yeah, I, I, I want to gain an advantage. Um, let's do swinging gate. Well, at that point, what is your swinging gate looking for? Are you a team that if you have the numbers, you're going to take that, you know, let's say you're going to say it's the throw portion of a swinging gate. If you always have the numbers, you are 100% of the time going to throw it. At that point, you're looking for a formation or a points advantage. Okay. The other way to do it is, Hey, teach swinging gate. But you know, like 99% of the time, you're going to come back and line up and kick it. You have created a time advantage because you now know your opponent has to waste their time every week to go over how to cover your swinging gate. So even though, yep, you're going to line right back up and kick it, and you know that, they don't know that, and you've gained an advantage through time now. So again, what advantage do you want to gain? Um, to me, I, I think one of the biggest things on PAT is to just constantly remind your guys what they are. They're a unit designed to score points. Again, field goal as well. I'm kind of talking about the two inter interchangeably. But but they, they score points. That is their job, okay? So you have to remind them of that, and they have to take pride in that. I think sometimes when that isn't communicated, PAT just becomes something we do after we score. Hey, the rules say after we score a touchdown, we got to run out there and kick it. If it gets blocked, it gets blocked. Who cares? It's only one point, right? We've all been a part of a game where that one point is won or lost as football games as coaches. So continue, continue to remind those guys their job is to score points and to take pride in that. And then again, kind of like a punt return philosophy, or excuse me, a punt philosophy, you need to have one to two fakes and then actually use them. Uh, I was part of a program where I'm not kidding – we had close to 10 extra point fakes and we never used one the entire season. So you want to talk about wasting time in that situation. It was the exact reverse. We were wasting our own time at that point because we all had, we had all these fakes that we repped every week that we never used. So number one, have one or two fakes. That way you're, you're, you're efficient with your own time. Um, but only, only practice them if you're going to use them. And another little trick I think 
throw a fake on film early because again every team that you then play afterwards is going to see it and then they have to spend their time on it so hey sometime you know maybe it's not the first game because the first you know for first games never go the way we want them to anyways and, and maybe you never put yourself in that position but early in the season game game two game three put a fake on film just again to spend some of your opponent's time and then to finish up, uh, PAT thoughts, or excuse me, PAT block thoughts, extra point thoughts, field goal thoughts, whatever, whatever you want to call it, uh, especially if it's if it's extra point, you're in a bad situation. You just gave up a touchdown. It, it, it sucks. We all know it, okay? The first thing, though, to communicate to your guys is, is, is what is their body language? What is their image? What are, what are you portraying that every single team that you play is going to see? If you come out there and, and hey, after every touchdown, you sit there and hang your head and your and your your PAT block team just kind of goes through the motions and slow get off and doesn't really have a hard push. I, I really think you gave you've given the other team a, a huge, a huge advantage just through uh, through spirit, maybe for lack of a better term right now. Um just, just because you don't take a lot of pride in what you put out there. There was, I believe, and, and I could have this wrong, but I believe it was uh, uh, Coach Collins, who, who's a, 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 I believe it's Jeff Collins, okay? Um, again, I could be saying this wrong, but I think he had an article this year on, uh, on uh, Football Scoop about, hey, it's one of the first things he watches. What is, what is the body language of their, of their extra point uh, block team? Okay. So again, what image are you putting out there? Uh, the reverse. I think you constantly have to remind this unit that they prevent points. Okay. You have to celebrate blocked kicks. I would argue, I was actually thinking about this today, how to best communicate this, um, especially a field goal. Cause we know that they're worth more points, but where I've been a blocked field goal, that counts as a takeaway. We all know the importance defensively of takeaways. You should be counting blocked field goals as takeaways. Think about how fewer opportunities you have to block a field goal than you do to create a takeaway through a normal football play. So, man, they're they're more rare. You should you should really celebrate blocked kicks, okay? And again, that that puts a that puts a uh, um, an importance back to it. And remember, it's all about making it important. Um, work with your D coordinator. You know, you could say these same things as far as your your uh, your punt return uh, scheme, but work with your D coordinator. Have a plan for the weird stuff, the gadget stuff. Um, you know, hey, if you know that they're a swinging gate team, work with your D coordinator on how you want to defend that. But you might have to stay in his ear about it. You got to remember, it's probably the last thing he's worried about. He's not worried about defending swinging gate on Monday. Okay. He might start thinking about it Wednesday and by that time it's too late. So again, I think you got to be realistic and, um, um, understand that it's important to you and that you might have to, to, to continue to bring it up to him. Um, and, and you know how to approach your D coordinators and when's a good time and things like that. Um, and then the other side, the, the PAT block, you know, again, there's two approaches. You can be a team that always finds a weakness. Hey, this player is bad this week. This is the guy we want to attack. Next week, it might be a different player. This is the guy we want to want to attack. Um, or you can be a team that says, I don't, you know, I'm, go, I'm going to use block middle for my example, but it could be anything. It could be block right or whatever you think is best for you. Um, so are, you want to be a team that changes weekly based on their weakest player or do you want to be a team that says, no, we're, we're a block middle team. That's, that's what we do. Okay. Uh, so again, keep it simple for yourself. 
Um, even if you are a team that is going to find a weakness, man, you should pretty much though still run the same block. The block shouldn't change. It should just maybe be who you're focusing on for that block. Uh, so again, coach, I'm not, um, I'm not the mastermind here, but these are some things that have worked for me. Probably the last three things that I didn't get into, uh, even though I did get into one of these, um, probably the things that I would really stress to coordinators is again, number one, tell, teach your players about the rules. Your players don't know all the ins and out rules of special teams. Okay. They know some, and you really only got to teach them the big key ones. Okay. Um, but te teach your players the rules because they don't know them. So for me, that's always the first slide in our playbook. You know why I, I do our playbook through PowerPoint for me, it's always the first slide is the key rules that they need to know for that special team. So, man, are you really putting an importance on it if that's the first slide, okay? Uh, the other thing I would encourage guys, especially at the bigger high schools or at the colleges, is find a way. For me, summer camp's been a good answer. You know, some places are doing two-a-days, some aren't, depending on what level you're at. Um, but to me, it's find a way to get all of your players tackling, okay, especially early in the year because you're going to use offensive guys on special teams and they have not been tackling for a while, okay? Again, especially if you're at a place where guys only play one, one side of the ball, okay? So find a way. Work with your head coach, but find a way. When, when can those, uh, those receivers, who you're going to run down on punt, okay, uh, when can you find a way to not just once, not just twice, um, but how can you have a little bit of time with them um, to, to, to review tackling and get them tackling. The other thing it does is it's always going to find you one or two guys that, that really know how to tackle. And now all of a sudden he's on every specialty. Okay. Um, so that's always a good one too, man. Get those offensive guys out there tackling as well. And then the last thing, and this is coach, it's funny that, uh, that, that, you know, coach Hendrickson as well. Um, Cause this is hundred percent taken from him is find a time to do your, to do either wet ball or wet hand drills. At some point in the season, you're going to have a time where your snapper, it's a rain game, and your snapper has to snap with wet hands, or your punter has to catch the ball with wet hands, or your punter has to kick a wet football, whatever it is, okay? Find a time to drill that stuff. Your players need it, right? And I go back to kind of wrap this whole thing up that it's not important until it's important. Well, if you wait to do any if, – if the first time your snapper touches a wet football is – in the rain game, you you've done a disservice to him. You have to you have to prep him with those things earlier than the game itself, or earlier than the sideline of the game. Okay, um, to give him reps to do that. So yeah, we'll 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 take a practice or two in the summer, and we will uh, you know occasionally throw one throughout the week in our season. We all have old footballs laying around. We legit take a bucket of water out there with us. We might sprinkle a little water on the ball. We might have the return, our punt return guy dip his hands in the bucket before, before a kick comes to him. Um, but make sure you're finding a way to work those wet ball or those wet hand drills into your stuff. Um, I think those are three key things that sometimes get forgotten about um, that I would want to, want to give that advice to any, any coordinator. Um, the older guys are probably doing them, uh, but especially young special teams coordinators. Uh, I think those are really, really key things to help you. So, Coach, I, I, I know some guys will uh, be able to see this. Um, yeah. The goal for me was to get you thinking about things today as coaches uh, and or coordinators and then hopefully have some follow-ups. I love talking specials. I've kind of already explained why.
but uh, I love talking about it. Um, and uh, hope, hopefully there's something I said today that, that interests you, that you want to want to talk more on, uh, whether whether it's your self-coach or any of the coaches listening, because uh, like anyone, man, we, we, we love talking specials. That's why we're here. Um, a couple of things real quick. Um, obviously, his for those watching, his email's on the screen, but if you're not watching and listening, it'll be in the bio, like all of his contact information, like normal. Um, so, that, I mean, like I said, I think Coach did a great job there talking about some special team thoughts. Um, couple, I, I, I wrote down two quick questions while I was listening. Um, so kind of going back to the shield punt philosophy on fakes and carrying one, carrying two. Um, and you're a shield guy. Do you think? Do you think the shield punt limits your ability to run fakes? I, I personally do. Okay. I I personally do. Um, on the reverse of that, I'm also sitting here and saying I'm okay with that because again, I only think you need to have a few. My my only other comment on that coach would be where I think it limits you is it depends who you use in your shield. Yeah. If you're a team that's going to run three of your biggest linemen out on your shield, then yes, it has limited you. If you're a team that um, is going to put, let's say, a tight end, a backer, and I don't know, maybe your biggest running back out there as your three shield guys, at that point, I at that point, I, I don't know that it has. At that point, I think you could sit there and be, and be creative with it. Um, but definitely, if you're a team that runs three linemen back there, yeah, you've 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 uh, you've taken away a few things for sure. Okay, um, and, and then my, my second one I wrote down was about PAT fakes. You mentioned you guys had a bunch in that year and didn't use any of them. Um, but when I mean, what, what what determines for you whether you're going to run a fake or not? Because I know a lot of high school coaches, their philosophy: if if I'm going to fake a extra point or a field goal, it's I might as well just leave my offense on the field. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I see that side of it, too. I totally do. Um, like anything, you could argue, okay, um, if you leave your alf- offense out on the field, the one argument is, hey, we only got to be right 50% of the time. I, I, I get that. Um, versus you cer- you certainly have lost an element of surprise yeah. if, if you keep your offense out there. So to me, um, and it's been a while since I've been a head coach making those de- decisions, um, to me it's been about – more of more of again i don't want to really just just hammer it with the element of, of surprise but it's a it's have a couple again one to two in your pocket to use when you need them another thing too where you know and i, I know i said it i i really i'm i want to try to get you to waste as much time as possible because time is one of the very few things we all have the same amount of okay we all have different players all right but we, we have the same amount of time, okay? So I want to get you to waste your time. So by me doing some fakes, I'm, I'm now getting you to waste a little bit of time on those, okay? That's why, again, I believe in putting a fake on film early in the season. If you are going to just keep your offense out there, you're probably running one of your normal plays anyways, right? I don't know that you created a time advantage anywhere in there. Okay. Um, but again, I understand some people are going to, you know, the thing of, hey, we only have to be right half the time. So I, I get that side of it, too. Um, it's just the things that have, that have worked for me. Okay. And then you mentioned, I got, I got one more because I don't want to make this a 16-hour podcast because I think me and you could just chit-chat forever. Yeah. I, 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 think, sure. I, I think we've discovered that both of us like to talk and like to talk special teams. So um, you mentioned middle return on punt return. Um, do you find, at least in your state, I think every state's a little differently, 
that setting up an actual punt return is difficult because of how erratic high school punting is. 100%. Totally agree. So I go back to uh, quickly or not to, not to uh, uh, continue the podcast, right? But uh, <laughs> I go back to if, you're, if you decide you're going to be a return team, okay, you, you, you and your head coach, whatever, you decide we're going to be a return team, Coach, I would have two returners back. That there. was going to be my follow-up question. Was I mean, have you ever, like that? I mean, that, that's something I toyed with. Like, if I if I end up doing special teams next year, uh, depending on job situation, and all that. We I mean you talked off screen off the, about that. Yeah. And by the time this comes out, that'll be that'll be known. But, um, yeah. like that's the other thing is like if if, if I wanted a separate return, I'd put two back there. Like at this point, Absolutely. the problem my, yeah. my problem with the two return, I think you're a little more susceptible to fakes. Which is, I mean, it's, it's that double-edged sword. Dang if you do, dang if you don't. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm not arguing. I think what might put you at ease in that situation, though, is you got to remember you're a return team, so you're not sending a ton of dudes. Yeah. So you, your, your front guys are a little bit more of a defensive shell than they are have their hand in the ground and, and they're going to sit there and, and go and go full bore. So I think that's how you could kind of negate that. Um, you know, keep it simple, right? If if you're the returner who doesn't have the ball, you're always the lead blocker for them. Um, and then, and then the other things too, this is just for me, you know, I didn't put it in there. Um, I'm not a wall guy yeah. because, because of the same reasons you're talking about. I, I setting up walls for punt return look great on paper. And then the, <laughs> and then the ball hits one of the guys who, you know, you're, you're left, like, I don't know, your left defensive lineman ends up on the right side of the field and gets hit by the football because that's what the wall return tells them to do. So um, I, I, that also kind of plays into to, to some other other things we talked about. But, yeah, uh, I, I think that's a that's a heck of an answer. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I just – I don't like the time – I personally don't like the time consumption that a wall return takes to perfect it. And Agreed. I just – it's, again, you're – again, kind of goes back to your, like, your kick sideline return, like – what if he kicks on the complete opposite side? Of, like it just it becomes a it's a mess. I think I just for this level, I think I think college is a little more. It's college and pros that stuff's a little more predictable, or at least yep. you kind of understand what their tendencies are based off the looks you get, all that lovely stuff. Um, for sure. So, but um, this is another episode of Kick and Cut podcast uh, for Coach Schroeder. Uh, we appreciate him coming on. I make sure again his contact information is, will be in the bio, his email, his uh, Twitter. Follow him on Twitter. Reach out to him. Um, and again, like, subscribe, um, to these videos. It helps the channel out so people can find them a little easier, um, and kind of spread the word. Um, but, uh, coach, thank you again. And, um, I, I hope you get to play in some, some fashion this spring. Yeah. So, so, so do we, but, uh, coach, this, this has been, uh, this has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you again, uh, on, on behalf of myself, where I currently work at Lincoln Way Central, and then hopefully for some of those coaches that I mentioned earlier that helped mold, mold me along the way. Uh, thank you, and thank you on behalf of all of us for, for doing what you're doing. I know we talked that uh, uh, you, you put a lot of time into it, so it's been a great project for you, and, and I'm glad to see it going so well. So thanks again, Coach, very much. Thank you, Coach.